0: Wedgehead Pinball Podcast, coming to you with a special episode, a new edition we're going to do called an Operator Spotlight Series, where I, as an operator, get to talk to other operators across this country. And this first Operator Spotlight Series, we're doing some friends of the podcast, friends of Wedgehead, Daniel Radin and Ty Ueda, who are two friends and operators in Boston, and they have a rad pinball parlor called Pops. How are you both doing? Very well. Thanks for having us. I've got a headache. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but that's
1: that's just me. So
0: that's unrelated. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Yeah, 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 definitely. I mean I hope. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, no. That's no, you've just, got that's great, just how
2: I am. You've got a great uh, uh radio voice. You're good. Thank you.
0: Um, for sure. Will you guys introduce your, you each have your own, I assume LLC or operating company. Do you want to plug your own brands? Yeah, sure. My name's
1: Ty Ueda. I operate under the name three Knox pinball. I guess I, I live in Maine, but most of my games are down in Boston or up in Portland. Three Knox is a, that's a reference to the Gottlieb high score credit thing. Everyone always thinks it's an Adams family reference. But it is like the oh really yeah it's
0: like the standard the Gottlieb if you
1: get a high score to date it says you awarded three credits and it's just a fun
0: oh no bit. no I know that I'm surprised that people didn't I mean I guess I'm I'm jaded by doing it so long I'm like yeah obviously that's a Grand Champion reference
1: yeah everyone thinks it's an Adams film the seance which I think <laughs> oh is interesting.
2: Funny. Yeah. I guess that's fair. And what about you, Daniel? Yeah, I'm Daniel Raiden from the Boston area. I operate under Our Lady of Pinball, which is just a reference to being Jewish and thinking Christianity is interesting.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: just curious. Yeah, just you know, Jay curious. <laughs> and Jay, Jay was a Jew. That's true. Many... Pretty famous one. Yeah, pretty. <laughs> Debatably, the <laughs> <a> most famous Jewish <laughs> <No, all> right. <laughs> <laughs> guy. Oh, we're getting right into it, into the deep. <laughs>
0: topics. Well, that's awesome. Like I said, I just wanted to talk to different operators and I got to meet Daniel in person when you came through Portland on tour briefly with your band. And I talked to both you guys, you know, over over Instagram pretty often. I think that's something that maybe a lot of people don't know is that us operators, we talk to one another because we're in this weird niche and, you know, knowledge is sort of tribal. People that work on games talk to other people that work on games and people have knowledge that they can help you with. With ...or things that they've been through before, and I think a lot of players just don't really understand what being an operator is or what it entails or how these games get to places, who fixes them, all that kind of stuff and the work that goes into it. So you and I, we know each other over the internet. I met Daniel briefly, but I quickly felt like you guys were sort of kindred spirits as far as like the way you operate games... -hmm. The games that you choose to put out, because I don't think it's any secret. Probably for most people that listen, they probably realize you go to a lot of places and you see a lot of the same games from the last five years, the same Stern games, the Stern lineup. And that's something that we try not to do. And it's something that I think you guys definitely don't do either. So I don't know if you want to talk about a little bit about that and your game choice and what games you choose to operate, because you could just as easily buy every brand new Stern and have every one of your locations look like that.
2: But why Why do you choose not to? Yeah, I think that's, it's like a, there's a few reasons. The first really was when I started getting interested in operating, I I asked our buddy Mitch if I could sit down with him and kind of just pick his brain about like operating pinball machines. And, uh, and like you were saying earlier about us sharing knowledge, I don't think I've met an operator who doesn't want to talk about either like what game's breaking a lot what game's earning well what whatever fun information that like only we give a shit about yeah but is really interesting for some reason so I sat down with Mitt and he routinely like you know he, he does operate a lot of new games but I remember playing his games and being like okay even though other people might have Stearns his play like absolutely perfect and I was like so this guy's crushing it in terms of putting all the new games out making them play perfectly updating them everything's like you know spot on so I was like okay well what I and I think Ty as well really gravitate towards are games that are that have you know earlier games so it felt like there was a niche at least in the Boston area that wasn't being filled it was you know fun for us to try and fill it
1: I would also just add in that I think you know Daniel and I are long time craigslist addicts to, yeah craigslist goblins <laughs> to a certain degree and so i think a lot of our game selection also and especially in the early days just came from like oh, i got this like crazy deal on this like insane game like uh and i guess i'm gonna make it work perfectly now and yeah. and, and you know I, I think part of it is the challenge of Making a game that's maybe a little bit more unusual work perfectly, but but also just to provide an experience that, you know, no one else is going to be able to see a fully working X, Y, and Z game uh, at any other, or at most locations, you know? Right. So trying to focus on really bringing, like, pristine games that just that you just don't see. And also just yeah. because we always happen into, like, you know, weird games in someone's basement that we have yeah.
0: to <laughs> completely <laughs> resurrect. So. Yeah, like, where are you going to play a X's and O's? Well, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There might be a reason for that. but <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. I just want to talk a little bit more about regionality because we're at Portland, Oregon. Uh, which is a big pinball town. You're in Boston, Massachusetts, on the other side of the country. How do you think the overall scene is in Boston in particular? I know you guys have a really, probably the biggest league that runs over all of New England, the New England Pinball League. But in Boston itself, is there a lot of machines out or is it a a relatively small market? I think there's always been a lot of games.
1: I mean, Boston's pretty, I guess it's pretty similar to Portland in that there's a lot of like kind of, stranger suburbs there's always a bowling alley that has like a bunch of games but i i think the other big thing is that there's a lot of really good tournament level players in boston mm-hmm. as well and in I think new england that, in, in yeah. new england in general so i feel like
2: there's always like um people looking for like a uh, you know good playing games yeah. in the area there definitely aren't too many locations like in the sense that
0: Yeah, I guess that's what I'm getting to is like it's starved for more. Like and you guys saw that you could add something to your local community that wasn't being serviced. Like it sounds like you have your friend Mitch who's also an operator who I'd love to talk to in the future as well, it sounds like, but Boston's a big metro area that maybe doesn't have as many pinball machines on location as it should.
2: Is that fair to say? That's certainly how we felt. I mean, for example, one of my favorite dive bars, Silhouette Lounge, I would go there in college and be like, I wish there was pinball here. And then, you know, years later, I wish there was pinball here. Eventually, I'm like, I'll ask them if they want some of my pinball machines. So now we have three pinball machines there, which is, you know, it's a very small dive bar. So three is kind of the max. Before, it was like a dart and pool bar. And now it's a dart, pool, and pinball bar. And we run like a super casual, friendly Sunday afternoon tournament. So, yeah, I think seeing the niche of like the way we operate is intuitive of like what do we enjoy and where do we want to play pinball and what's the vibe we want to play pinball in so like do we want to be in a loud really busy brewery maybe not most of the time but like <laughs> but one you know, hundred that's a big part of um when we're placing games what we're thinking about
1: i will say i think also i've been to portland a number of times and i i feel like portland's really special in that every single place has like a Seems to have like a crazy lineup of games. At least from I guess the last time I was there was probably in like twenty eighteen or something. But it I, I will say that there are definitely like pinball hubs in Boston and that like this place has like a ton of games or something. But it's rarer that you'll walk into a place and there's just a pinball machine there. Yes. You know, there are a couple like pretty monolithic feeling lineups in a couple different places, but it's not as like visible in the eye of like every single bar has a has a pinball machine or something. Yeah. I'm sure there are plenty of historical reasons why that is, but it definitely is. It's a little bit, I would say maybe a little bit harder to find than than Portland,
0: comparatively. But I mean, Portland and Seattle are probably the two biggest pinball cities in the country and therefore probably the world. So we've always had a long history of strong operators in the region. So we have lots of competition, but again, it's not really so much competition. We don't really view it as competition. We view it as sort of like the tide rises all boats. Totally. Because pinball is ubiquitous in Portland. Like you're saying, every dive bar, coffee shops, like it's common to run into one to three to four games anywhere. Yeah. And... Honestly, like that's how I grew up playing pinball was moving to Portland and then, and then being able to play on location and then being everywhere. And I still, to this day, it's not that I'm against arcades, but I prefer to play in a bar and I love like a well curated, like three to four game lineup. Yeah. I fucking live for that shit, man. (laughs) I really live for that shit. I love like a comfortable, cool bar. I could just go tuck out and play some pin. Yeah. In the corner, and I love sort of like you know maybe they have three or four games, and maybe it's like maybe some one of those games or not all of them are like my favorite games of all time, but maybe it's a game I haven't played in a while or know very well, and I'm like, well, I'm already here, like I'm gonna learn, mm-hmm. I'm gonna spend time on Roadshow or something like because yeah. it's here, like that's what I'm gonna play, I'm gonna learn it, and it, it really gets you into something, and I really love the atmosphere of pinball and especially pinball and bars. I feel like that's the natural environment, like isn't it? dark bar is there any reason in particular that portland has such a robust scene
1: that's something i always wonder about like re- if you look at just like a general map of pinball machines like open for public play i've always wondered why portland and seattle have such a robust scene because i sometimes when i see like chicago and like anywhere in the rust belt new england to some degree like they're all over the place in in those zones and then like the midwest and the southwest have like nothing Hmm. And I always thought it was yeah. kind of interesting that the, the the Pacific
0: Northwest is like such a hub. I Well, I can speak for what I know of Portland. I assume Seattle is a little bit similar. But in Portland in particular, at Portland and Seattle, the Pacific Northwest, we have a rainy season that lasts 10 months out of the year or whatever. So it's <laughs> mm-hmm. it's gray and dark. So inside activities do very well. We also have a history of loose zoning laws. Oh, interesting. Which means that we have a lot of strip clubs. We have a lot of bookstores we have and there's there's just (laughs) historically there's no differentiation between what can go where you'll have a strip club or a sex shop next to a school or a church or whatever. So in a lot of cities that doesn't happen. So the liberalness of like how things got placed, I think that it extends to amusements and how everyone I think knows something of the story of how pinball machines were considered illegal in most yeah, places right. or in different places. And the famous Roger Sharp story, which we don't need to get into because it's well documented, <laughs> yeah. but it's like, I think in Portland, so there was always in a barrier to entry was easier. And I know that for a fact in the late nineties, there's a local operator named Mike Mahaffey, who is a great, great pinball player, pinball tech, uh, who ran games after pinball kind of died, or in in the 90s, he was running the only games that were working around town. He's a guy that used to go to Papa every year and play. He was friends with Lyman Sheets, right? Like, he's that level of, like, top, top, top tournament player back in the day. But he's credited with sort of putting games on location and making sure they worked. Mm -hmm. So, and then because they were everywhere... Then other operators come in, add more games. So it's just been a rich history. I don't I would say like my business partner has told me repeatedly, he's like, Mike Mahaffey is the dude that saved pinball in Portland. Yeah. Wow. So like we have nothing but utmost respect for Mike and what he's done. He's older now. He still, you know, works on the route and um, but he doesn't really play in tournaments so much anymore. But he is a phenomenal player. Zoe can attest to this and as far as like I'm not impressed by anyone's pinball skill level like it just <laughs> doesn't impress me at all but when I saw Mike Mahaffey like almost roll our alien star by his second game and he's just like oh if I had another two shots at he's like I, I was like I couldn't fucking believe my eyes <laughs> this dude is unbelievable well um,
1: I, I also think that that's kind of an interesting brings like good community is having is really having like operators who play and care, which you know, 100%. 100%. Which 100%. Like Mitch definitely, I mean, Mitch Curtis, that we keep bringing up, he is, he's a phenomenal player. Yeah. And he's, he's really tournament good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think Daniel, Daniel, and I are both pretty good players, but we're also like way too goofy to take that shit seriously. <laughs> yeah. But, but like, but, but we care when like a game play as well. And I, I yeah. guess it sounds like in the 90s that, uh, that Mike
2: over there in Portland was, was that guy mm-hmm. who was like, played and cared and Who knew it. knew how it was supposed to play right and what would yes. be a fun way to set it up and we talked about this when i met you it was like and you touched on it in one of your episodes but about if a game is too easy or it's playing too generous it can be actually less fun
0: yeah oh i will die on that hill, yeah man oh my <laughs>
2: god dude yeah. i take so many arrows for the way we
0: set up games and i want to do a whole right. episode of Pinball setup because I think it there's a wide variety of how people set up games and it'll cause fights amongst enthusiasts and pinball players, but people think it's I was there to steal your quarters, and that's I can assure you, yeah, we're not getting rich doing this. I can guarantee <laughs> you that. But it's more like pinball's supposed to be hard. I will I will always say that. It was always hard from its earliest days with the little flippers and no in lanes and no ball saves and like it's only till recently that we add those features, which I do think by and large are are overall a good thing. The modern progress of a pinball machine is good. It's not that they don't make good games, but I, I think when you get to the point where, as even a mediocre player who plays pinball regularly, if you start getting to the point where you can play games for 20, 30, 40 minutes, the game is set up too fucking easy. Like that ruins pinball to me. Like yeah. that's a hot take that. No, I'll, I'll, like, yeah. I'll walk away from a game. Don't agree, like I'll walk away from
1: a game if I'm playing for like thirty minutes. I'll just get, I'll get like fucking bored. I'm a busy man. Yeah. I think I have places. To... It's like I don't want to fucking yeah, dude. It's like it, <laughs> it makes you not want to play with
0: your friends, right? No, like, then, you can't play totally. with somebody if if everyone's having balls like that. Like it's yeah. it's just crazy, and it lengthens tournaments to an obscene length, and uh, and yeah, that's a whole nother discussion for a different time. But I want to get back quickly to. Why you think Boston maybe isn't, it doesn't have the same level. I want to talk about like, have you guys as operators, because I think a lot of people don't realize this, like we in Portland, like we have an amusement permit that we have to pay for. So ours is ours is based on number of machines per location. So what happens is, is when we put games in a location, we have to pay based on the number of games, but really the rate's pretty low, which is also why I think you see it a lot. But I know in some places it's really high. I think in Maine, it's pretty high, but maybe Ty can attest to that. I don't know if you have any of your games out in Maine.
1: Yeah. I'll let Daniel kind of take the bulk of this, but I do have, I have a small answer to the Maine thing, but uh, I I know that when Arcadia opened up in, in Portland, Maine, I think they got hit with some like I think it they wanted like three hundred bucks a game or something for like oh the, yeah and they it was some sort of crazy number and uh, oh they had like a like a GoFundMe or something well they had a go they fund me to fund money open. Oh, and oh, then, gotcha. and the way that they paid the amusement fee was before they opened they had that crazy tournament that we went to oh yeah and uh, I think it was called like the amusement fee tournament or some shit yeah. like that but uh, I mean they made kind of a pretty big public stink about it and I'm, I think it's I want to say it's actually up for boat because it was some sort of outdated number from like the you know the 90s or something and they were like listen no one's actually doing this anymore like we don't there's no reason to get all the pins I actually have in Maine the locations offered to pay that fee yearly for me the the Navy yard does it I know Portland the Arcadia does it so I've kind of lucked out dodging having to handle the main uh, numbers which is you know super generous of all the owners of the places that I have games up there but
2: yeah and in, and in terms of Massachusetts it's, it's- all the laws are so different for each town. Cause like, like I only operate, I think between the two of us operate three games in Boston proper. Like all of okay. our other games are, are in either, you know, Cambridge or Everett or wherever, like all, or Waltham where they, each town has their own ordinance, their own law for running amusements. And then a lot of them get covered just under like Again, this is like really inside baseball, but like a lot of them get covered under... No, I asked. I think people... The thing about it is what I want this series
0: to be is people don't know this. Yeah. If you're not an operator, you don't know this. And a lot of people are becoming operators and they don't know this. Yeah, yeah, right? fair like, enough. So yeah. it's like, I want these episodes to be... To explain to people like the what goes into running a route, what goes into yeah. operating yeah. games. Well, I'll also say, though, there's a couple, out of every group, there's, like, one
1: geek who wants to know all these things. So Yeah, we, I mean, not, if I'm that way. If, we, so if I... we have it all on this podcast, we can just send them there yeah. instead of having it. To... <laughs> um, <laughs> like, I'm trying to free up this stuck ball. I don't really have time to answer this. Yeah.
2: <laughs> but, like, in a, so a lot of our places, we just fall under entertainment, luckily. So, like, if they can have a band play, then they can have a pinball machine or a pool table or whatever, and that, oh, okay, and yeah, so that's it, cool. Yeah, so, so it's like, not
0: per game in in
2: the Boston region. In, in some, like I had games in Framingham for a bit, and they did have to get a license for every game at a brewery. How much was that? Do you remember? It was like 150 bucks a year or something. Okay, which they okay. covered all.
1: Yeah, I think that's also the other thing is that like I, we've always had good luck having it covered by yeah. whatever location we've had them run under. Yeah, mm-hmm. knock
2: on wood there, but I knocked on wood. Yeah. for uh, the listeners at home
0: yeah i know for us in Portland, like my business partner i think we do sort of the same thing as far as like his route it just sort of falls under stuff that they already have at their business it's typically covered by them but in our wedgehead, in our arcade in our pinball bar we have it through the city and i believe it's we're just over right like which sucks but it's like they have it they have it on rates of like zero to zero to five it costs mm, i don't know like 200 bucks then Whoa. Then five to twenty, it's like five hundred bucks, and then per over twenty, game? it's no, it's a oh, thousand. Okay. No, 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 okay. no, no. no. Oh, I was like, collectively, okay, it's got collectively, it. but it's graduated yeah. like that. Okay, interesting.
1: Yeah, I was, I thought you were talking per game, and I was like, you, you gotta, no,
0: no, 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 no. Yeah, that would be terrible, man. Yeah. It, it wouldn't be as popular because right. games don't earn money like that. That's something we'll get to in future episodes and talk more about earnings. I have a whole economics pinball economics that I really want to do that I've outlined, but just about the earnings of pinball machines and what it costs to buy them and operate them and, and all that kind of stuff that we don't need to get into here. But the next thing I want to talk about is like, how do you guys find your locations? How do you approach your locations? Because this is another thing that I get asked about a lot by people that have a couple of
2: games and they want to start a route and they're like, well, how do you get in? How do you, How do you find these places? I mean, to start, I just sat down on Google Maps and made like uh, a list of every brewery within like 30 miles because I was like okay breweries have uh, a lot of space and very little to do uh, historically besides like board games and I basically just cold emailed probably like 50 or 60 breweries there's a lot of breweries in the area like mini breweries one of the first ones to respond was this brewery we we work with our first like bigger lineup which is eight games now at is that bear moose yeah bear moose brewery in everett the owner drew emailed me back i said like hey like here's my pitch here's how it works blah blah i explained it in the introductory email how splits work i'll we'll provide a change machine you know you don't have to do anything. We'll handle all the maintenance. And he just said, responded like, yeah, put as many as you want. So yeah, That's awesome. Yep. That, I mean, but he's, it turns out he owned a pin bot, like on board with pinball before, but never had time to, he's the main brewer at this brewery. so Totally. He yeah. He
0: can't handle like putting pinball
2: machines in and maintaining them and all exactly. that kind of stuff yeah. in addition to what he already does. So he, our email to him was just like a dream come true. He's like, oh great, I'll have pinball at my brewery and I don't, I don't have to do anything. Right, And we even operate now two games for him at the brewery, including his pin bot, which we, we fixed up. Yeah, I mean, that was the kind of the gateway. And then we built that space. We made it a New England Pinball League location. We got like a group of players to come pretty consistently to that. And we started running tournaments. And once you have kind of that one location, you really put a lot of effort into building a community around, it makes it a lot easier to sell the idea right. to another place where it's like hey here's this cool thing i'm doing are you interested in being part of it versus like hey can i please put a, a yeah. big bulky electronic item in your bar like you know what i mean like yeah is the, yep let, you, and you're gonna bring
0: i'm gonna bring a bunch of people in but they're gonna be nerds that are gonna come up to your <laughs> bar staff and tell you that
2: something that you've never heard of isn't functioning or whatever <laughs> in the most inopportune moment right yeah we i we're not making fun when we say this but we and i see it Uh, But we have like, you know, a QR code uh, on all our games to report issues so that so that the bar staff can say, scan the QR code and, and send a send a report and, you know, an issue report. And we always we always joke like we are nerds. We know how everything what the proper name for everything is. The average person doesn't nor should they like that's fine. But I love translating or interpreting people's report issues like sometimes it's like a literal oh, yeah. game between me and Ty. Our favorite one being, um, which we still say to each other, uh, <laughs> the the ball fell through. No way. The ball fell through the playfield and cannot be read. And the machine cannot read and it. The machine cannot oh.
1: read it. And we were just like, we were like, what the? F-?
2: So <laughs> <laughs> I was like, okay, I'm like really genuinely trying to figure out what I think. And just the answer, the solution was, I believe it went. I think the attack from Mars Opto just wasn't working and the scoop didn't kick it out yeah. like that's yeah, what it meant yeah sure. yeah um which like i just use a whole bunch of dumb words when i said that so like obviously <laughs> they're not going to be like hmm, i think the opto's not reading in the scoop you know what i mean like of course they're not going to say that but right. but but i think it's also that you, with
1: all of our games that we put out Most of the Boston community knows now. Very true. To like use the QR code Mm -hmm. or like message us personally. With our player base, we, I feel lucky that, you know, we never have people who go up to like the bar staff and are just like, hey,
0: this doesn't work. That's possibly just because we, you know, Well, you build brands, you build brands, you make it easy to communicate with your QR code. We do a similar thing. We do a, I put a a text number. I have a separate line set up. That's our tech line. And I put a sign on each game that says, you notice any problems, text this number. And I say, pictures are appreciated for the exact reason that you just stated, which is that some people write things that I don't know what to make sense of. Yeah. So (laughs) usually if they can like take a picture of like, yeah, where a ball disappeared and wasn't red, you know, I could be like, "Oh, it's the scoop. It's probably right. the switch in right. the scoop, right. Right. right?" Like I can, I, I know where to look, and right. it allows me to text them back if I'm really unclear about what they said. Right. Um, but yeah, I think going back to the the question though that you mentioned of just like what's
1: how do we convince what's the pitch? Like one of the biggest selling points is really selling the location that you're taking care of the maintenance. Yep. like because I, it seems like every bar in the area has had an experience of like oh yeah we had a pinball machine once and it was always broken and it sat you know and, and, and it be- ate I- money being able to like really firmly present to you know to any brewery or bar or restaurant owner just like no 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 like we take care of these games they work you know and you don't have to worry about any of that that's mm-hmm. usually the biggest barrier into getting getting places to sign on mm-hmm. and it's just is is Shrink, sure, you know having proof that you maintain and take care of those games. Mm-hmm. Oh, and then yeah. And then just well, continually bugging the piss out of every single person <laughs> that you ask. You know, <laughs> just send, sending like five follow-up emails. I, I must have, yeah. at the Navy Yard, I must have dropped my card like 10 times. And then it, Joe is finally just like, oh, yeah, I saw your card. Yeah, just put as many as you want. Just come on down. Yeah. It's like, man, you're seriously. Like, I've mean, been emailing you for like years, you know.
0: Yeah. Well, I will say, as a bar owner and operator of a bar, uh, and I do the food at Wedgehead. That's what I was classically trained as. I've been cooking in kitchens since I was 16. But it's like I got a lot going on as a business owner. People are always trying to get your attention with yeah. anything. So someone coming in to operate pinball machines. If I wasn't already, you know, pinball operator at a pinball bar, we, you know, it'd be like, it'd be one thing that's like, hey, so-and-so emailed me. I'm like, man, I got a bunch of emails. So I get a bunch of questions. I have a bunch of things that I have to deal with, right? So it gets lost in the shuffle. So I think what you're saying is, you know, be polite, but be persistent. Persistence pays off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And once you guys get a couple locations under your belt, it does it for yourself. Because mm-hmm. if if anyone's even curious, people that you weren't even thinking about, right, that wasn't on your radar, they'll reach out to you and mm-hmm. be like, hey, I have this bar or I have this space. I would like to put some pinball machines in. Could you, w- would you do them? Or I've been to Bear Moose or I've been to the Navy Yard or whatever. And they're like, can, can I get some games? And you're like, mm-hmm. hell yeah. And then it becomes easier. The more locations you have, it becomes easier to get new ones. Exactly. And that's where it becomes like, then you get into the situation of like, do I have enough games? Mm-hmm. How how much do I want to stretch myself? Because the other thing is, I think what a lot what would surprise a lot of people is most pinball operators... Are not only pinball operators; they also have real jobs and careers that pay them actual money, and the pinball is on the side, side hustle, something that they do because they're passionate about pinball.
1: Yeah, I th- yeah. Daniel's giving
2: me this like knowing look, where he's <laughs> like, you know. Well, like, so we were, we we touched on it earlier, but the part of what I've been supplement. So I'm a musician, as you mentioned earlier. Right? So I I do go on tour. Um, obviously there's so much money in music and it's just an amazing, to throw money at you on stage. It's crazy. <laughs> yeah, man, you got, you're making money hand over fist. Oh yeah, I know. I, I studied philosophy in school too. So I'm really just oh, wow. nailing it anyway. But part of probably part of the reason there isn't as much location pinball I'm thinking is there are a lot of people in the area with home collections yep. and some of them are really amazing techs and do play field swaps and restore beautiful games like our, our friend chuck does really amazing job but there aren't that many texts so like i put a goo, you know we both put google ads up like hey like we repair pinball machines we operate them blah blah and the amount of calls i get just like hey can you come fix this game it's like it is now get to getting to the point where i'm like sure in four weeks yeah so so that is yeah. like if you're if you are interested in routing older games where you will have to fix them and and shop them and uh you then you have those that skill set you know you can charge people like a, a pretty decent hourly wage to work on their games in their in their home collection often they have a lot of games like you're kind of charging plumbers rates you know like but it's oh, for, for sure but it's for something just purely fun like everyone's mad at the plumber for not showing up on time because they're like i want to use my shower but no one's like mad at the pinball tech they're like oh i'm excited to play my game but <laughs> it's not like i can't shower and i smell now so it's like a really sweet
0: well, and there's also less techs, right? Like with a true, plumber, there's true. other plumbers you can call, right? Like true. there's, there's even in places like Portland, it's like, we know, I know all the techs, man. Right. It's like, I know all the people that know anything about working on a pinball machine, right? So yeah. it's like, and even in a city where we have as many as we do, I don't know, maybe there's, maybe there's a dozen or so people that are good at working on games. And I'm sure there are some hobbyists that we don't really know. But you know, when you have over a thousand games in the Portland metro area on location at any given time, that's really not that many people. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right. I think that was that was a pretty good introduction to kind of becoming an operator and, and sort of finding locations and things like that, collecting feedback on games. I think it's a big deal. I would also say I think we sort of touched on it, but I want to reiterate that I do think that what we're seeing nowadays which is awesome is we're seeing a lot of pinball players turn into pinball operators historically what made it hard to get into places where a pinball machine go in an operator was also operating jukeboxes pool tables yeah. uh, buck hunters stuff like that stuff like that that's sort of like turnkey they don't really need to do a lot of maintenance on they show up and they take money out they put money in a change machine or fill an ATM or whatever. They're not there to really fix many things very often, and a pinball machine is the opposite of that. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, they would just sort of, you know, fall apart on location and not be serviced. And now what you're having is a lot of pinball heads become operators, and pinball players make the best operators yeah. because you want a game to play well because you're a player, you're the consumer.
1: I, I think like, that's that's also a good point, though, is that Daniel and I both started on all of this just because we bought games and want to work perfectly outside of you know outside of operating you know and and that being the primary focus of what we do and the running out of space and having to put them somewhere is really you know yeah. a, a big transition as well
2: yeah I uh, want to give a shout out to my dad who like I had you know we were yeah. we were being like as uh, we said like Craigslist goblins just like trying to find games for a reasonable price and I had like I think I had three games in my basement and my dad, was like cool as the pandemic was starting to ease, and my dad just goes like, "What are you going to do with three pinball machines in your basement?" I go, "I don't know, sell them, sell one, get another one." He's like, "Why don't you <laughs> put them at a bar, make some money?" I was like, "Oh, yeah. shout out to Daniel's dad, yeah. dude!" And, I mean, he's That's like, "Awesome." He's like, "I always like to argue with him." He he considers himself a moral capitalist, which like I don't think exists, but like I like <laughs> to hear his opinions on it. He's a very smart guy, and yeah, so that was partly how ty and i really started working on it together it was like hey i'm putting ai i think ty sent me like a monster bash he's like you should buy this like if you're gonna start routing games i was like all right so i put a monster bash in a creature I'm like one other game maybe a hot wheels or something random just those two oh, just those two to start yeah yeah at bear moose and then it just it grew from there
1: yeah that's also crazy that man my first two games were oops and silver slugger too.
2: Hey, I, for- awesome. I forgot
1: about that. That's fucking crazy.
2: Yeah, that was before. <laughs> that was before you were trying to make money off. was yeah, like, I was, know, like, you know, I was I like, like, oh <laughs>
1: yeah, these fucking games rule. Like they-, <laughs> they got these fucked up flippers and like there's Robocop playing baseball. Like how could you not fucking love this thing? <laughs> so-
0: oh man, I uh, it, it's been a pleasure talking to you both. I want to end this episode by asking you about your combines location since you guys operate around towns and different bars. Uh, in places but i wanted to talk to you about your your combined spot pops pinball parlor and i want you to give me you know the synopsis what's what's pops all about how did you find that space and how do you build a community at pops and sort of what makes it unique like what do you feel like is your unique fingerprint in the boston area or in the pinball community at large
2: uh yeah so pop is at bow market which is a sort of like a it's hard to describe. It's a mini l- hyper local mall in a courtyard. So it's like all these micro businesses. There's a brewery, a wine bar, a cocktail bar, a chocolate shop, like in a bunch of stores, like a vintage shop. So it's all these little businesses all in this one little area. Um, so you can kind of patronize a whole bunch of l- local business all at once. And I'd been bugging them for a while. As Ty was saying earlier, I just kept being like, hey, you guys want pinball? And they were like, no. And that was in months go by, hey, you guys want pinball? I mean, by the way, don't just email someone, hey, you guys want pinball? That's nothing. That's not an email you should say. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was more eloquent, but that's my short version. I think like at the third or fourth time, they were like, "Uh, come see this space. So I went in... And it was like, it's like a 300 square foot room. It was like this mini grocery store before. And we kind of just pitched them on a pop-up to be there for two months. And Ty, I remember Ty sending me like, he's very good at layout stuff. So he sent me like this, like freaking SimCity, like like (laughs) layout of like, okay, here's exactly how. I'm like, yeah, we could probably for like 20 games. I don't know. And Ty's like, no, we can fit exactly 10 or 11 games, and here's how they'll look. And so he was much more detail-oriented. But we also, like, you know, they showed us that space.
1: We thought about it a little bit, and then— I, I thought mean, about it for, like, one day. We thought of—yeah, you know, I guess the reality—it was—but re- the, the quicker thing is that we we signed the key—you know, we signed the deal on that yeah. space— and in two weeks, we were open. Yes. Like, that's kind of the thing that, that's nuts about it as well, is that we pitched it as a pop-up, and we were only expecting to be there for two months, which yeah. was the original plan. And that meant we had two weeks to get it up and running. Yeah. And so it was, it was just an absolute mad dash to get, you know, all the games in there, all the games up and running. You and I had, both had a ton of things going on yeah. at that time, and and we just we knew we had to do it. It was the it was the only it was the only option was just to gun ho go for it. You know you can you can do anything stupid and crazy for two months. Yeah, you know? like, those are Like we were just like yeah sure of course we can. That'll, and, that'll be great.
2: And part of the goal was to see like can Boston or will Boston patronize a pinball space like a space that is so and just as a side note pops is literally just a 300 square foot room with 11 games and vibe like that's all it is you can buy you know a cocktail upstairs and bring it in legally that's okay i can say that um but we don't sell alcohol we don't <laughs> sell food n- nothing it's like we sell you know we just have pinball some stickers a fortune yeah. telling machine oh, some like sweet merch we do have some some sweet merch, we have some sweet merch Yeah. Uh, yeah that was the idea to see if boston will support a pinball bar basically or a pinball-esque bar
1: and i I think the other thing too is that there are a couple there are a couple places in boston you can you know we have like there's a place called roxy's that is like the classic like meat market barcade (sighs) there's like 200 college students who wait in the line to like go like pump quarters into like big buck hunter and like try to bang their classmate or something. <laughs> <laughs> and and there's, like, that spot. There are, like, a couple, like, large pinball areas in... It, large pinball spaces in the area. Um, there's, like, some bars that have good collections. There's home collections. There's a couple, like, massive, vibeless warehouses that have, like, 50 <laughs> pinball machines that, you know, get played once a week. But, you know, we also wanted to see if there was you know something a space we could make that was pinball focused but also still like really fun you know i think that was the biggest focus we were really trying to get is is how do we make this space fun like have you know you know we have paint by numbers everywhere and play like 70s music up you know it's like it's it's just like we're trying to make a space that's focused around this one activity but it's not a hyper competitive space it's you know got you know just good airy light foot traffic and you know doesn't feel like
2: you're in a dungeon somewhere we we wanted somewhere that we would want to spend time in basically was our yeah was like the style guide for for pops and we're really lucky to have attracted a whole community of people who feel the same way like when i come in and there's someone just like cranking away on like rocky and bullwinkle i'll be like crushing it i'll be like hey can i give you our soft bitch for tournaments and they're like sure and I'm like, first of all, I'm not a competitive person. Let me just start by saying that. And <laughs> yeah. I enjoy our tournaments. And they're like, okay, I like that. Because like a lot of the, a lot of people are like, I like playing pinball, but I don't I don't like the competitive. Like, I don't want anyone to oh, be mad yeah. at me or 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 you know, there's sort of like a, a vibe at certain pinball tournaments that are very serious and people are taking it very seriously. And you kind of and that's fine. Like that's there's no, no issue with that. But it isn't where I want to be and where I want to spend time. And oh, so myself either. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. So we're we're trying to sort of curate an experience for people like us, um, who want to just like play pinball and have fun and not take it too seriously. I want to say that fr- as an operator, and
0: we have Wedgehead. I will say that, and tournament people don't realize this, but there are way more people that play pinball than play pinball in tournaments. They they don't understand that. They don't understand that they're a niche of a niche. <laughs> they're, they're unaware, right? They're blissfully unaware of it. But that's what we chose to focus on with Wedgehead was like, right. we want more people to play pinball. And so when we run our casual event, Howdy Partner, it's about getting, it's the same thing you're talking about. It's like, hey, I know you're not a tournament player. Neither am I. Yeah. Right? Like here, Here's something you can go out and do. And have a good time without the pressure or the weird vibes that some big, very competitive tournaments can get. Not all tournaments are like that. I don't want to be seen as a tournament mm-hmm. hater, but it's like that space is well supported. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like it's to their turn, pinball tournaments everywhere across the country and every pinball spot. Tournament players will organize anywhere mm-hmm. to get their tournaments and their points. What doesn't happen is the people that organize to get casual players into playing in an organized event you know and that doesn't exist as often yeah well i think also there's
1: pops also operates under the new england pinball league umbrella like we're a league location where the new england pinball league players can play and you know we have to take that at least like There's a degree of seriousness we have to present to those for league Uh, nights. For league nights, um, you know, there's like three seasons a year, and then an off season between those seasons. But there are lots of places that do take, you know, the New England Pinball League tournaments like super seriously, and we have to at least like abide by a certain amount of guidelines. But after eight weeks of that, pretty much every single one of our players is like, "Man, I'm so ready for league to be done." Yeah, for casual tournaments, because I like I wanna I wanna be able to just like show up here, and you're gonna like force us to like you know like play with like a mirror on the ceiling and like the play field obscured or something they're yeah.
2: like they're like i want to you know do something weird and and fucked up you know the, the and, best is what we have like a player who's recent who comes in all the time his name's ben and he's an amazing player did i think he won new england pinball yeah right he yeah he yeah. did so and but even he asked how he's like oh what do you, do you guys know what you're doing for the next casual tournament and we were like oh you think that we think more than like 12 hours ahead of time like usually it's <laughs> like we're texting each other <laughs> on the way like Hey, what's some weird shit we can do? Yeah, <laughs> like, we but but that is so fun to us that people are anticipating and looking forward to like what weird thing are you going to do for this next Thursday tournament? So that's so such a cool feeling. Yeah,
1: and it, I think if we only ran serious tournaments, I just I I think it would just be against the ethos of the space. But I also I just don't
0: think uh, people just I don't think people would have as much fun.
2: At least I, not the crew that we have coming yeah, in.
0: That's yeah. that's fair. But uh... I think it's just fair to say that there's plenty of that around. There will always be plenty of that around. Mm -hmm. There's always room for somebody to do something different. And I think you guys do a great job of that. I look forward to going to Boston, visiting my friend Zoe and playing in the Boston scene and seeing pops firsthand and going to your locations and hanging out with you guys in person. I just want to thank you both for joining me on the Wedgehead Pinball Podcast. You were some of the first people that reached out when I released the first episode with some very nice things to say, and I I appreciate that very much, and I'm just grateful that you would come on and talk about operating pins uh, with me, and I hope that in the future we can get together and do another episode sometime, but I just want to thank you both for joining us. If you have anything else you want to say... I'm looking forward to
1: more of these, too. Daniel and I's dynamic is pretty fun because... I, i'm definitely like the shit talker of the two and like daniel's like pretty pretty like together but but like i'm i love diving into, like weird minutiae of, of details and stuff and just going
2: hog wild on it so, yeah like i'm i'm looking forward to more of this yeah thing. we're so on board with like the lack of patter like your lightning <laughs> flippers episode is just like so lightning flippers, let's get into it. Like it wasn't even like, I was like, yes. Like, yeah. I'm so glad you didn't talk about what you had for lunch today. Like, thank God. It's like, like oh, let no me I read know. all the reviews of my, my podcast
1: <laughs> on air. <laughs> <laughs> like,
0: Dude, for uh, real. It's oh, yeah. brutal. But anyway, thank you for having us. Yeah. It's so fun.
1: Yeah.
0: I'll end this episode, like I end every episode, which is imploring people listening, go out and play some fucking pinball on location. That's what this is all about. Support a local operator. And if you're in the Boston area, go to Pops, man, go to Bear Moose, go to the Navy Yard, go check out their locations, support them, put some money in their machines. They're doing it as a passion project. These guys are passionate. They work really hard. Give you a good experience. Okay, so go out, have some fun, play with some other people. They do casual tournaments on Thursdays that are a lot of fun. I think they alluded to, go check one of those out. For everyone else, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Wedgehead Pinball Podcast. Until next time, good luck. Don't suck.
1: we